Hello and welcome to the Wild Enrichment Podcast. My name is Kyle Banton-Jones and I'll be your host. The Wild Enrichment Podcast is a show about animal welfare, training, enrichment, and everything in between. Each episode, we will be exploring concepts surrounding behavioral husbandry and the ever-advancing field of animal welfare, from interviews with real animal care professionals to educational episodes about new concepts in animal care. This is the Wild Enrichment Podcast. Enjoy. All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Wild Enrichment Podcast. Today, we're joined uh, by Dr. Valley fraser Salin. Uh, she has a wonderful Instagram account uh, at the wild, uh, the lives of wild dogs, and uh, we'll post that in the uh, show notes. The link to that. Uh, welcome uh, to the podcast, Valley. Thanks for having me. This is great. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah. So uh, we were chatting a little bit beforehand, but um, one of the reasons why I brought you on is uh, you have an awesome Instagram account about uh, positive reinforcements, uh, particularly uh, in sort of the dog training world. Um, mm-hmm. which is, uh, you know, a lot of our listeners, they'll be working in uh, zoos, uh, wildlife sanctuaries, places like that. They do a ton of wild, uh, positive reinforcements in their day-to-day jobs. So, um, you know, having having somebody that has a background like you is, is uh, super interesting to a lot of people. And, uh, you know, can- the, the whole canine training field is you know as we said before it's a, it's a little bit murky there's a lot of mm-hmm. snake oil salesmen around and uh it it is a little bit less cut and dry as uh, what i've sort of been observing in the zoo worlds for a while so we'll get into that a little bit mm-hmm. um yeah so do you want to sort of give us an idea of what your background is and how you sort of got into the whole space of positive reinforcement animal welfare all mm-hmm. that great stuff yeah um i have a pretty eclectic background. Um, it's all related, I promise. <laughs> but um, I, so I guess it's, a, I'll try to make it brief, but um, there's a kind of a lengthy history to how I, I kind of got into positive reinforcement dog training. But um, so I did a master's in library studies, um, which I know is weird, but it makes sense in the end. Um, so I did my master's and after my master's, I moved to South Africa for a year and a half, um, just living just outside of the Kruger Park. And um, I was working in a small like library at a wildlife college. Um, I just like fell in love with wildlife out there and, you know, living in the bush and hearing lions roar and seeing, you know, like walking around the college on my break and seeing like giraffe and, you know, saw wild dogs there as well. And when I got back um, to Canada, I was like, oh, I just, I don't want to be a librarian. <laughs> I want to do stuff with wildlife or, you know, animals in general, particularly. I was really interested in wildlife in Africa at the time, still am, but um, I've kind of pivoted a little bit. But um, as I was kind of researching like how I was going to do this, I, you know, never really thought about, um, you know, how I could be involved in wildlife as a social scientist. And finally, I found a geography department at the University of Guelph. I found my advisor who was doing all of this cool research in Botswana in Africa on on animals and how they kind of shape the landscape in Botswana. So she took me on as a student. Um, I eventually did a PhD there and I focused on human African wild dog conflict and conservation in Botswana. So I spent probably almost a year in Botswana on two separate field uh, seasons, like talking to farmers about, you know, their perceptions and their attitudes towards wild dogs and talking to folks in conservation and um, folks in tourism. So it was really um, 
yeah, it was really an amazing time of my life. And once I finished my PhD, I ended up doing a postdoc at the University of Calgary uh, in community health sciences, where I ended up kind of like, this is where my domestic dog, um, you know, interest really started to, to blossom, I guess. I um, had adopted a dog in Ontario and then ended up adopting another dog in um, Alberta. Um, and I was actually focusing, um, my research was focusing on dogs in Indigenous communities and access to veterinary care in, in Canada. And that's currently what I do now um, as well. So yeah, that's um, kind of how I started to get into domestic dogs. And then when I adopted my northern rescue dog who had you know never you know he was 10 months old he had never been on a leash he had been fostered at a doggy daycare for like two months he was like so greasy and like skinny when we got him and you know i i went to you know the internet because my my other dog was like this older dog he you know was just like more chill and stuff and here i was with this like wild like dog and I was like what the heck am I gonna do with this dog um but I loved him and I wanted him and um and yeah and that's when I like you know really really like delved into the world of of dog training and you know um found a lot of like information on the internet that like you said is very murky and was really hard to kind of um you know, siphon through and and figure out what what I wanted to you know how I wanted to train, and I I kind of went into the like found a trainer who was like balanced but more you know positive reinforcement, and then you know ended up you know using an e collar for my dog for about a month for recall because everyone was like, you've got a husky, like you're never gonna get a recall on this dog, like he's gonna be gone if he's ever off leash, so. Um, and about after a month, it started to feel like kind of yucky. And I was like, I don't really want to train my dog like this. And interestingly enough, what kind of persuaded me um, to move away from, you know, that and focus specifically entirely on positive reinforcement dog training was um, because I went to a talk by a dog trainer in Calgary who was training a grizzly bear um mm. at kicking horse in bc and she was doing all, all clicker right, training right. and positive reinforcement and i was like all right well if this lady can train a grizzly bear you know without these tools and just using clicker training like why can't i do this with my dog and then i was kind of like set on positive reinforcement training i didn't want to use any of the aversive tools that you know were out there and um yeah that's how i kind of landed in this like you know advocacy role that i take on on instagram and i started the account and and that's husk is the dog that you see on on my instagram all the time um he's great he's got a bomb recall now without yeah. any aversive tools so um yeah he's he's really amazing he's an amazing dog and um you know i really he taught me a lot and you know i i credit this journey to you know landing in positive reinforcement training and advocating for that because of him and it's been an amazing journey so far so yeah yeah that's that's great and yeah i would recommend everybody to check out the instagram it is great i think i think where i stumbled upon it was actually a recall video oh, was that it you, that oh, you awesome. had i think it was because <laughs> i recently adopted a greyhound about uh eight mm -hmm. months ago or so and Love they're notorious for their 
for their poor yeah. recall as well because <laughs> yeah. any small mammal that they see is uh yeah. um you know game on but uh so i think you know in my research on different recall techniques and ways to do things i think that's mm -hmm. how i stumbled upon it but it is it's a, still a work in progress mine's not quite as good as that but uh, it's, uh <laughs> you'll get there yeah absolutely. and if not you just use a long line and that's also great so exactly it <laughs> yeah. is yeah. yeah yeah so uh you know i i would definitely want to focus a little bit on positive reinforcement mm -hmm. um in domestic dog i think we should start a little bit on your research though and and maybe talk a little bit more about uh, some of your findings and because the sort of you know talking about human relationships with animals is 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 such an interesting field and it has so much to do with what uh you know we do every day with with our animals and uh, mm -hmm. I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit more about it is there a sort of uh, takeaways that you had and or do you want to sort of dive into like your research a little bit more yeah. for, for people um so like my research on african wild dogs was way more like conservation and conflict um one thing that i really i think that like one thing that i can take away from like that that would be more applicable to kind of the human animal relationship in general is that like different people think about animals in different ways and that is going to really shape how they like live with animals the way that they may treat animals the way that they think about animals um and that is really you know based on like a lot of their like context the environment that they live in their you know life kind of lived experiences um you know apart from those animals but also with those animals so i think it's really um you know it's really important and that's what i you know thought about when i was when i was thinking about my research in africa and thinking about conflict it was really about thinking about how you know conflict is yeah manifested like on the ground with wildlife but what are the broader kind of structures that you know shape shape that conflict and it's really about conflict between different human groups you know about about wildlife or about animals and you see that with dogs as well and and you see that in the community right is is this very um you know it's a very divisive like community there's a mm -hmm. lot you know of of misinformation out there there's a lot of different you know there's different philosophies that shape the way that dogs are trained and i think that that really um you know that kind of like broader think thinking about animals in the broader context, I think is is really important. And that's kind of what I drew, um, you know, what I, I draw from from my my research with with wild dogs and um, dogs in general. And then of course, you know, I really, really lean on my, you know, African wild dogs are the wolves of Africa. You know, there's a lot of like, you know, misinformation about dogs being pack animals mm -hmm. and being den animals and and all of that. So that really, really, you know, informs the advocacy the advocacy that I do and and the kind of busting those myths around around dogs and and also my work with free roaming dogs as well and and being in communities where there are large groups of free roaming dogs and seeing how they interact with people and seeing how they interact with each other and you know that can that for me has really really informed the way that I kind of lay out information and and draw that back to you know wildlife as well and especially you know wolves and and wild dogs and and the way that people think about them in relationships to to their dogs right so yeah. yeah it's it's been quite helpful um in a lot of different ways but i would say that like 
you know, busting those myths has been probably like what people have really enjoyed from my Instagram account is because it is based in peer reviewed research. And I, I do really try to like cite my research, even if it's on Instagram, right? Like anyone can say anything on Instagram or social yeah. media, but having that that research backing up your statements, I think is really, really important. And that kind of like the librarian in me and the PhD in me and the postdoc in me is like cite your like mm -hmm. research. So I, I try to do that as much as possible. So I think like my background in research and and even though it's not in dog behavior and it's not in dog training, I think has really been able to like inform the the work that I do and the advocacy that I do on on Instagram. So yeah. 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 It's 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 really interesting to hear about a lot of the human conflict uh that happens in a lot of uh, on everywhere in the world between mm -hmm. humans and different kinds of animals because you know i think coming from a zoo background uh, you know we do a lot of a lot of what our job is is to educate the public on certain conservation issues and it's so easy to sort of fall into that trap of like well these this group of people should just stop killing this this mm -hmm. animal or stop yeah. affecting this animal and then it'll be problem solved but it's yeah. there's so much that goes into those those issues from you know poaching to to specific animals uh you know uh affecting crops and livestock yeah. there's so many factors that go into that 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 makes it not a cut and dry you know this person just should just stop you know killing this animal it, yeah, it's, it's almost never that cut and dry and there's just yeah. there's so much to it yeah and it i mean it's people's you know relationships with um the conservation folks it's local people's relationships with their government um you know and that's something that i really learned was that like human wildlife conflict doesn't just like occur in like this vacuum right like it's mm -hmm. it's really something that is so much broader than what we think it is and it is a lot more complex than you know what what is what you're just saying is like oh we'll stop killing this this animal or move or mm -hmm. you know set up fences and it's like yeah there's you know mitigation strategies but like you know a lot of if you're like a really like poor like you know farmer living in a very remote like rural location you know you can't necessarily set up big fences like electric fences and you can't you know, afford to lose that one cow that may be like your livelihood, you know, mm -hmm. for the next six months or or whatever. So it is a lot more complex than I think people think it is. Um, so yeah, and I mean, there's a lot of conflict with dogs too, right? Like, um, if you think about like, you know, dogs in, in, um, you know, wiping out like, packs of African wild dogs because of rabies, like, you mm -hmm. know, stuff like that. There's, you know, conflict in between domestic animals and and wildlife as well. So I think it's, you know, dogs are so like, you know, they're they're kind of like everywhere. So they're almost like nowhere, right? Yeah. Like, they're a bit ubiquitous. So it's uh yeah, it's there I find that, you know, dogs have always kind of like popped up throughout my research, you know, over time. So it's not surprising to me that now I'm like so enmeshed in in this this work that i do so yeah yeah no absolutely and i feel like as human beings we're we're drawn to dogs and there's there's just so much to learn and mm -hmm. so much to love in in dogs so it's yeah, yeah it's, absolutely it's, it's yeah. a great field to be in 
Um, so you actually mentioned, uh, you know, so some myths and some mm -hmm. specific, you know, misconceptions people might have about domestic dogs that you sort of come across and, and busted with your, with your, um, you know, research that you've done and your mm -hmm. experience. Is there some offhand that you can think of that, that come to yeah. mind that people might yeah. still believe? <laughs> I think the biggest one, like, is really the, like, the pack animal you know, thing is, I think that is the biggest myth that, you know, has, um, like permeated the, the, you know, dog training industry, I guess that would be, and that would be tied to like this alpha dog mentality, which, you know, thanks to Caesar Milan is now mm. like everywhere in, in dog training. And it's really unfortunate um, because, you know, that research, the whole alpha dog pack mentality thing, you know, has, has been, you know, I guess busted for, for many, many years. You know, we, we know that there's no alpha, you know, that alpha literally just means breeding pair in, in a pack yeah. of wolves. We know that dogs are not, um you know pack animals in the same way that wolves are and and that they don't have that same structure um you know that they that wolves do with humans so um the pack animal one is really kind of one that i have focused on uh because you know i think people don't really understand the like nuances of what and like the specifics of what entails a pack animal um or you know a pack of wolves and 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 how that isn't how that pack is different to dogs being social in a group of, of dogs, you know, accessing resources. Um, so I think that people may just not understand that difference. And, you know, I don't fault them for that. You know, it's, it's, yeah, it's everywhere, right? Like I was just at the gas station the other day and there was like this card that had like a dog on it and it said, join our pack. And I was like, Ugh. like, <laughs> this is literally everywhere. Like I yeah. cannot escape it. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, that's that kind of myth has, I think, been quite detrimental to uh, dog training and and um, has really given, you know, compulsion based trainers and, and um, balanced trainers some you know, ammunition to to really kind of leverage the human dog like bond as like this hierarchy of like, well, I'm the alpha and like this dog has to like mm -hmm. respect me and obey me because that's what happens in like these these wolf packs. And it's it's, you know, just it's so wrong. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. you know, yeah. Um, yeah, I think it, it's it's really sad that that's, you know, how it what it has come down to, like how that, you know, research on wolves has really impacted domestic dogs. And and yeah, it's too bad. Yeah, I think that's a really good one because the pack dynamics in wolves seems to be one that is still not really figured out a lot mm -hmm. of, the, of the way, because even um you know the research that done that's done on like uh, wolves in in zoos. Their their pack dynamics seem to be, um, at least from what I've read, seem to be like amplified and more rigid. And because they don't have those sort of comings and goings, and mm -hmm. even the way people understand a wolf pack to be in the wild is seems to be one that's not necessarily the case most of the time. And yeah. and I've been I've been lucky enough to work with uh, a couple different wolf packs at, at zoos and 
when you work with wolves for a long period of time, the differences between them and your dog at home are <laughs> so large and they just, they look the same, but like the way they communicate, the way, like all of these behaviors that they have are, are just so much, uh, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but they're like richer and they're more like yeah. the way they express themselves and the, the way, like you can see them talking to each other quote unquote yeah, uh, yeah. and and w it's just so much like when you see two domestic dogs interacting it's just a completely different you know interaction and and it's it's uh like i find uh domestic dogs there's so much in the middle and and it seems like like uh you know wilds uh, like wolves and stuff are sort of on the extremes when it comes to the way they're expressing themselves and and the way they're sort of their dynamics work so it's 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 a tough comparison to make when you actually understand yeah and that's a great point because you know the experiences that people have with wolves are like so few and far between right like there are mm -hmm. not a lot of people in the world who have lengthy you know experiences observing wolves in the wild or even mm -hmm. as in a zoo right like i mean i guess you could like spend your entire day going to the zoo every single day and watching wolves but like that's also very different than you know you being a zookeeper like working with them um mm -hmm. and also you know it's a different environment right it's a, they're not out hunting they're not out you know trying to survive <laughs> like you know they're they you know are are in a captive environment and i think that you know can really make a big difference as well as to you know how their behavior is and and that was where this whole like alpha you know thing started was when you know there were captive wolves that were being observed you know for their pack you know structure but they were unrelated wolves and they mm -hmm. were fighting and and it was you know very um yeah it was like very aggressive and and all that stuff and then finally you know we well you know this but like dr david meach like kind of said well you know alpha you know this isn't this isn't the way that these wolves live in the wild with their family structure these are mm -hmm. unrelated wolves it's going to look very different out in the wild with a, a family of wolves so i think that we've you know they they did what they could at the time that they you know with the means that they had to do the research um but i you know it's it's unfortunate that and i mean i you know they wouldn't have never thought that this is you know completely like impacted the world of dog training is just it's wild i think i think you know if if i don't i doubt that david meach even under knows what you know what what happened you know what kind of stuff happened to to dog training because of you know the research that he he's done in the past yeah. so you know it's yeah it's really interesting how there's this like it's like it's weird because i think like people are like they like revere wolves so much a lot of the mm -hmm. time like you know to like to like people want wolf dogs like they want wolves as as pets you know it's it's kind of like this well then i can have a dog but like treat it like a wolf like because mm -hmm. it's genetics or so i don't know i mean i haven't done like wolf research like perceptions of wolves but like you know the the whole wolf dog thing is is an interesting um concept to me as well so it is yeah. especially when you know <laughs> wolves like when you when you work with them they 
A, are scared of absolutely everything to a degree that you've never even seen in right. a domestic dog. Yeah. And they don't care about you. They, they don't, don't care about they don't, you. They don't care about you. So yeah. it's like if you want a dog that if the wind blows, it's like, see you later <laughs> and never comes back, then maybe a wolf dog is for you. But if you don't, if that doesn't sound good to you, then maybe you could reconsider because yeah. there's there's a reason why, you know, humans have... Uh, we we turned the wolves into the chihuahuas you know there's yes. there's a reason for it yeah so, exactly yeah, yeah it's uh yeah that's yeah that's that's super interesting um you know research and and yeah those those myths are uh are definitely still out there and um you know i hope you know educational pages like yours uh do do a lot to dispel them i'm sure so um so uh, you know your Instagram is 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 really about positive reinforcement um, mm -hmm. at the end of the day, and you, you've you talked about uh, sort of balanced and compulsion trainers. Uh, do you want to sort of explain what that is and what those sort of techniques look like? Because for people that aren't necessarily in, that's not uh, that's not in the sort of lexicon mm -hmm. of exotic animals. So I'm I'm mm -hmm. not really that familiar with it myself either. Yeah. Um, so I mean it's it's interesting because like balance training is sounds so good right like it sounds like oh i will have this dog who is you know happy but then also like doesn't eat my furniture right like um so i think you know it's the language that we use around like dog training is is you know can have a lot of impact on the way that people end up training um so i guess i can kind of talk about you know operant conditioning and the quadrants of operant conditioning um which you know you guys would know as as you know when you're training wildlife like that's what you're doing you're doing like positive reinforcement training so there are quadrants that you know um are being used in training and the positive reinforcement camp would sit would you know, sit in the positive reinforcement quadrant and positive reinforcement just means the addition of an appetite of stimulus um, to um, increase behavior. So, you know, a reinforcement and positive is to increase. And then you would have negative reinforcement, positive punishment and um, Oh, of course, now I'm on a podcast, so I forget my like fourth quadrant. <laughs> negative reinforcement, positive punishment, positive reinforcement, and negative punishment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, negative, yeah, yeah. <laughs> on the spot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's yeah. fine. <laughs> um, so positive reinforcement folks like tend to stay in that positive reinforcement quadrant, whereas balanced folks will tend to stay, will will use all of those quadrants. And the thing is, is that we know that so positive punishment is kind of like the opposite is the addition of a stimulus that is um, aversive and that would decrease behavior. So for example, like your dog is, is barking. So you would like bop your dog on the nose and your dog stops barking. So you're adding something aversive to stop, to decrease the behavior. Um, so punishment basically means decrease. It doesn't mean hitting your dog or like saying no to your dog. And I think that's where like the language is also, like I was saying, really important. Um, so, you know, the positive reinforcement trainers try to use the least aversive methods and, you know, 
tool, I want to say tools, you can't see me because I'm air quoting it, but (laughs) tools um, available. And uh, we tend to use a lot of management, um, changing the environment, a lot of enrichment, a lot of, um, you know, allowing dogs to have choice and consent and control, as well as, you know, and that kind of all like comes back to like dog agency and and allowing dogs to really have a voice in the training and not forcing them to do anything, not using any aversive tools like prong collars and shock collars and, um, you know, and I mean, there's some tools that are kind of like iffy, but I'll, I'll stick with the prongs and the e-collars. And, and so we don't use any of those tools. Um, you know, we try to really like focus on the dog as a whole and the dog within their environment in order to understand you know why behavior is occurring what kind of emotions are you know perpetuating this behavior to be you know happening and how can we uh, change the environment how can we manage the environment and then how can we change the emotions that are um, underlying the behavior right yeah. yeah no and that's it's uh yeah, it's it's interesting because I I feel like you know in in the sort of canine industry there's just you're sort of bombarded by the amount of stuff like you don't know who to believe. If yeah, you go into the training section of PetSmart or whatever, like there's just rows and rows and rows of things and and with all sorts of different claims, and it's hard yeah. to know as a dog owner without a sort of background like you know, like we are lucky enough to have mm-hmm. uh, what to do. Yeah. So is there, is there things that sort of people can like look for or, you know, uh, yeah. red flags that come up for you or anything totally. like that? Yeah. Like a lot of the red flags that I look for with, with training um, is anyone who's talking about like pack mentality, um, you know, dogs are pack animals being the alpha uh leadership is like a tricky term as well because it sounds good but it can also you know be very um focused on you know being that alpha so there's a lot of language in there that's that's you know i always say like compulsion and balance trainers are really good at marketing and positive Mm. reinforcement trainers are really good at at educating themselves (laughs) um (laughs) But uh, actually, I think one of my friends said that. <laughs> yeah, I should probably I should probably quote her. It was Renee from Bravo Dog Training. <laughs> She's oh, yeah. great. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's you know I think um, those red flags is is really around like the language that's used, and then obviously the the type of training, the tools that are being used. So if you ever see someone saying like, oh, you know, like this prong collar like doesn't hurt the dog, it just you know evenly distributes pressure around the neck, and it's like you know no like it if it stops a behavior like immediately it's because it's aversive and your dog is uncomfortable and it's causing either discomfort or pain um and then uh other red flags really around like education education's another big one um positive reinforcement trainers tend to really like focus on you know getting i mean the dog training industry is totally unregulated so literally mm-hmm. anyone can be a dog trainer and wake up and be like, I'm a dog trainer today and start a business and start, you know, taking clients on. Um, but dog trainers who are, you know, very focused on positive reinforcement tend to, you know, go to the 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 schools that, you know, will teach you and and accredit you and and um, you know, 
they have an ethics behind what they will, you know, what kind of training that they'll do. Um, so yeah, those are the, I think the like, and balanced obviously is very much like a, you know, a, a term that, you know, dog parents, dog guardians should avoid for sure. Um, compulsion based trainers are just, you know, balanced trainers who are like way more on the the end of the spectrum in terms mm. of like, you know, heavily like, um, I mean, I would say those are the, the, that's like the abuse, you know, you, you, you go into abuse at that point with compulsion. Based yeah. training. Um, so yeah, I mean, we could definitely argue. I mean, there's a, there's some arguments around balance training and abuse, but anyway, we won't go there, but, um, but compulsion based training is really like, you're going to see a lot of like really heavy, like tool use. You might see like, you know, withholding um food withholding water i've seen folks i've seen a trainer withhold water um yes. i've seen you know uh, i've seen hitting i've seen you know hitting with objects like really really like horrible stuff on that that side and yet they still exist in the world and they still have clients and it's unfortunate because i think they you know these clients are very like unsuspecting because punishment is very very effective at stopping behavior and mm -hmm. people really want you know quick fixes especially when you have a dog with reactivity or you know any sort of reactivity or even separation anxiety you know stuff barking at the door at the window um you know i think punishment is very very effective and a lot of the trainers guarantee you know quick fixes in like two weeks at a board and train and it's like well yeah. you really you know and fixing is another word like if you want to fix behavior and it's like but behavior is not something to be fixed um mm -hmm. so there's a lot of language that you can like look out for i do have like a highlight on my instagram that is just basically a red flag um oh, so really? there are so, and i i will and i do add to that you know but it it's um it's definitely something that you know that those languages and and you know at the end of the day like i I think that, you know, as a dog guardian, like if something doesn't feel good, if you're working with a trainer and something in your gut is telling you like, this isn't, this isn't right. Like this doesn't feel mm -hmm. good. This isn't the type of relationship that I want with my dog. Like I don't want this like antagonistic, like battle of like wills, right. With my dog and forcing them to do things and suppressing behavior. I think, you know, I think that's really, really important is to listen to that gut feeling. And that's what I did. And that's how I landed, you know, learning about positive reinforcement training and how amazing and, and quite powerful it is. Um, yeah. in, you know, changing those emotions and and working through behaviors and and creating that bond with your dog and really understanding your dog at the end of the day as well so yeah i think mm -hmm. um you know there's a lot of a lot of language out there that i think can be you know once you start to pick up on it you're like oh you can like you can like like i see like a dog walking down the street and i'm like that dog's on a prong and like we'll drive yeah. past it and i'm like up oh, there's a prong collar <laughs> right yeah so, yeah 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 you can kind of and like going on you know seeing different instagram pages i was like i can spot like a balanced trainer i can spot you know mm -hmm. that stuff but that's because i've had like years of of siphoning through all of yeah. that that information on the internet so yeah yeah it, it would be exhausting trying to be the alpha of your dog oh my god okay? like oh god <laughs> i just want to like dog ownership should be fun and you're, yeah. you should be getting a, a wonderful member of your family that and Absolutely. and i think i think that's one of the reasons why it's persisted as being 
as murky as as it is is because you know although the sort of results may look the same to somebody that that with the sort of untrained eye mm-hmm. it's about building a relationship with your dog yeah. and the, the dog doesn't have a really an option like it, it's living with you whether it likes it or not so the you know where it gets to is sort of the same on the outside but on the inside it's it can be completely different for that for that animal and i think totally. maybe that's one of the reasons why i feel like in the exotics world you know the I, I feel like there, there's less ambiguity around you know, sort of negative reinforcement and positive reinforcement mm-hmm. and punishment and stuff like that is because, you know, when you're working protected contact with a tiger and you are doing po- like, you know, punishment based reinforcement or or whatever you're doing, like mm-hmm. it, it it is not working like that. No. Tiger, well, it's, it's, you know, so I think with dogs, it's that they don't really have an option. And yeah. And you you had mentioned choice as as something to to consider, and that's sort of uh, becoming a frontier of animal welfare in uh, you know zoos and stuff like that is adding choice and the power that it can have mm-hmm. on that animal's welfare. Uh, is there sort of examples that you have of maybe ways of adding choice into your dog's life that, yeah. that have positive re- impacts? Yeah, totally. I mean, you know, I think. <clears throat> I think choice is like, is so important for dogs. Like you're saying, we control so much of their lives. Like if you really break it down, it's like, you know, we control when our dog goes outside, when our dog goes to the bathroom, when our dog eats, when our dog, you know, does basically like all of these like very natural things that dogs tend to, you know, do whenever, wherever, if they're in a free roaming situation. And here we are like, well, this is when you sleep. This is when you go to your you know, bed, this is when you do this, this is when you do that. And I think having that choice and that, you know, giving a dog choice gives a dog control. And I think Mm. people are really weirded out by your dog having control um, and may like kind of go into this like world of like, well, if I start letting my dog, you know, do this, then they're going to do that. Then they're going to do that. And then they're going to like, you'll be using the microwave in no time. Oh my God. Yeah. (laughs) You know, they're going to, take down democracy I don't know um so you know I think um you know if if you're if you're doing any training like when I do training sessions like you know if I'm doing a training session with Husk like uh, you know if he wants if he seems uninterested like I'm like cool we're we're done if he decides to you know opt out or not do you know if like do something like I'm like cool like that's fine like it's your choice like this is just as much your training session as it is mine and if you don't really want to do it then that's cool. Like, I'm not going to force you to do it. Um, you know, like sometimes, I mean, I'm never, my next dog will not be, I will not be teaching my next dog how to sit because that's like just useless. But you know, when I I remember doing a video where I was like, what was I doing? It was a real or a video. And I was like, husk, like sit. And it was like winter. And he was just like, like and he does this little like puffy like nose thing Mm. sometimes when he doesn't want to do something or he gets like kind of annoyed and I was like okay fine like who who cares if you don't sit like why am I asking you to sit like this is so dumb um so yeah I just uh yeah I I, you know I think a lot of the positive reinforcement trainers are really focused on giving their dogs choice and that can go from like opting out of a training session to just like maybe deciding what direction you you walk in that day when you leave the house like we often will Mm -hmm. just stop at you know the front gate and I'm like okay which way do you want to go and he's just like 
oh my God, uh, uh, maybe this way today. And it's, you know, cool, like, let's do that. So, you know, it can be like a very simple act of allowing your dog to just choose their walking route for, you know, a few turns on a walk or something, right? Mm -hmm. To, you know, really, um, you know, focusing on like cooperative care and um, consent-based training and, you know, stuff like that, which, you know, maybe out of the realm of the, you know, a a regular pet guardian, but not really. Like there's a lot of amazing trainers out there who are, you know, doing courses on on cooperative care and consent-based training. And I think that's such an amazing, like, you know, kind of future of of dog training and i think you know if that could be spread like throughout you know the dog training world i think we would have very very different relationships with our dogs and i think um yeah i think our dogs would you know i'm not saying our dogs are not happy like my dog's perfectly happy i don't do a lot of cooperative care but i think you know the landscape of dog training will look very very different if we think about choice and control and consent uh within training so yeah Yeah. And I I think one of the things that is, is most harmful with these things is when people are putting their dog and their behavior on this sort of unrealistic pedestal of, you know, and and you said it on your Instagram and you post videos about like, you know, who is this walk for? Like this walk is for your dog. Yeah. So don't don't be one of those people where it's like, my dog can't smell anything. It's looking in a straight line. It's on my left side. It's it's a foot and a half away from me at all times. And yeah. like, it's not in the military. Like it's, yeah. it, don't put it on this unrealistic pedestal. Yeah. That is, let it be a dog that is enjoying itself. You know, yeah. it's, it's not your child that you can raise to, to be exactly how you want it to be. It, yeah. It's, it's uh, yeah. And dogs, you know, they have personalities and they have likes and dislikes and, you know, different needs. And, you know, so I think it's really, important to like you know get to know your dog on an as an individual and as some you know an, an a creature that you spend <laughs> your entire life with 24 7 basically and mm-hmm. you, you know you want your dog to be um be able to you know express themselves and and you know tell you what uh they like or don't like and you know i think there's yeah you know there's obviously you know a lot of um there's obviously situations where, you know, if there's like an emergency or a medical care or yeah. whatever, then, you know, that's very different. But I'm talking about kind of the everyday lives of, of dogs in our life. Like, you know, how can we increase their, you know, how can we increase their, in, enrich their lives and how can we increase mm. their, you know, their their choice and their control over their lives? And I think that, you know, that's that's a really important part of, of you know, it's it's not dog training. right but it can have such an amazing effect on your relationship which then Mm -hmm. you know can really um make your training sessions so much more enjoyable with your dog right like yeah them as as something that to do with with you know that's something fun it's a relationship Mm -hmm. yeah yeah for sure and and they're all you know and and you you touched on sort of individuality and and the amount of variation between like breeds and Mm -hmm. and how you're sort of managing them and and what you're asking for uh you know is 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 huge and and you know i like i i grew up with like labs and stuff my whole life and then i (laughs) I, yeah and then i got this greyhound and i was like what are all of these behaviors like i've never seen a dog do anything that 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 my dog does on a day-to-day basis like it's completely different uh, night and day that the, of what she does and how she expresses herself mm-hmm. in comparison to 
you know, the, the labs that I've had throughout my yeah. life. So yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. I don't think I've I'd ever have a lab again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're, they're interesting sometimes. Yeah. Totally. So, uh, yeah. 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 No, yeah, they're super no. cute. I, I, I'm yeah. a breed, a breed. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I do have, you know, I'm, I'm partial to the, the Huskies. I would love, a, I mean, greyhounds are beautiful. I love greyhounds. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah but, uh, but yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, different, different individual dogs, even within the same breed are going to have yeah different you know needs and 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 then age like put you know put in age and and pain and you mm -hmm. know all these other factors and and i think that's what you know the positive reinforcement dog community is really really focused on not just that like behavior that is happening in that instant it's like well, let's look at like the history and let's look at the environment and let's look at the management and let's look at, you know, talk to a veterinarian, get blood tests, get your, see if your dog's in pain, right? There's so many other factors that can affect behavior. And, and I think we just like scratched the surface of, you know, like what, what is going on with, with dogs. And I think it's, you know, there's so much more to learn from them and, and learn about them. It's just, yeah, it's, it's yeah. amazing. Yeah, I think that's that's true for the whole field of animal welfare and mm -hmm. understanding, you know, what's what's going on up there and, yeah. and figuring it out how they're interpreting experiences and individuality, I think is gonna play a huge part in that. But, yeah. Um yeah, no, it's 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 really interesting. But you know, listen to your dog. That's what we want to do. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think, yeah. you know, a lot of folks don't may not know like dog body language as as well as they think they do. Um, or, mm -hmm. you know, there's so many like little tiny things that dogs will do, you know, like one little lip lick and you're like, oh, like, you yeah. know, that like that can say so much. And I think mm -hmm. that, you know, that's that's one thing that can be really um, challenging, I think, for folks is is really trying to understand their their dog's body language. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that's something that, you know, every dog owner, you know, should be like get the the you know, Lily Chin's dog body language book. It's a great small little book mm. for, you know, dog owners to, to see a little bit of more nuance. It's, you know, it's great for kids. It's, you know, it's a great book that, you know, folks can, can look to and see kind of, you know, like a lot of people don't know what whale eye is right with dogs. Right. So, you know, that's something I didn't know about when I was, you mm. know, had my, I had my dog for, for my first dog for years before I knew what whale eye was. Now I look back and I'm like, Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah but, no absolutely um, yeah. yeah understanding behavior can go it it just makes it any any little insight that you have into you know what their experience is 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 gonna mm -hmm. go uh gonna like be so valuable for you as a trainer totally. yeah yeah totally. do you have a specific you know advice for uh you know people that are doing positive reinforcement training? Like, do you see specific things that, uh, you know, come up as, you know, may maybe mistakes that people are doing or uh, advice for positive, not just for, you know, maybe uh, people that are training their dogs, but mm -hmm. positive like just dog owners and stuff. Yeah. Or... Anybody doing positive yeah. reinforcement training. I don't think the thing with positive reinforcement training is like, even if you make a mistake, like you know, what are you doing? You're just like giving your dog maybe an extra treat or something, or you're yeah. like reinforcing a behavior once or twice that you didn't want to reinforce. And like, 
Is there enough history of reinforcement for the dog to like then repeat that behavior? So like, it's really hard to make a mistake. I think like dogs can get more, maybe get frustrated. Um, and I think that's where, you know, learning about, like, if you're really, really diving into like the positive reinforcement training world, like that's where, you know, error, errorless learning can come in and, you know, all that stuff. So I think, you know, there's this, like, there's a whole world of like out there that is like really amazing and really interesting to, to kind of learn and think about, but yeah, like for trainers, like I, yeah, I think, I think the, you know, for, I think for owners, like I never, I never fault owners because I know how like terrible it is to try to navigate, you know, the dog training industry um, as a, especially as a first time dog owner, it must just be like, just so, I mean, I knew I, I found those challenges. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, so I think, you know, it's, it's really about just, just following I think I think the one mistake that a lot of people make is just not following like their gut and like because you're like oh this is a professional this is someone that I'm paying like I'm mm. I've hired this person they have my dog's best interest in mind you know they're going to help me you know fix this problem or or whatever and and then they may see things that they feel like oh that doesn't feel right but you know this is a professional and you know yeah. they're you know they know and I don't and I think you know, a lot of people don't give themselves enough credit as to, you know, that gut feeling or, or reading something that may be different and, and maybe being like, oh, I can't like explore it because my trainer said like, oh, well, you know, don't, that's just crap. And it's like, okay, well, mm. just because you're, you know, your balanced trainer, you know, said that doesn't mean that you, you can't go and, and do your own research on the side if it, you know, you don't feel good about it. So I think, you know, there's a lot of, um, yeah, I think there's a lot of dog owners out there who like really don't want to be using balanced methods, but they've hired this, you know, quote unquote professional, yeah. you know, to come and train their dog. And they're like, well, this is how it should be. And this is how, you know, I'm going to train. And then, you know, maybe someday they find like, you know, an account like mine or an account like, you know, other folks that, you know, are really big in the the training industry and, and, you know, open up this whole new world of like, wait a minute, you don't have to leash correct your dog, you yeah. know, oh, that's even, you know, that's like doing worse than, you know, what, mm -hmm. what we could do otherwise. So yeah, I think really listening to your, your gut feeling is, is probably, you know, one of the biggest like pieces of advice that I can give, you know, dog mm -hmm. guardians out there when they're working with a trainer, if they, especially with, you know, balanced and compulsion trainers. So yeah, yeah. It, I think it's, it's also like, you know, it's all right to take steps back in your training mm -hmm, and, and, absolutely. and go back to the drawing board. And, yeah. you know, if something's not working, it's, it's, uh, and I think a lot of, a lot of good trainers, they take a lot of steps back. It's not like this sort of animal whisperer thing where everything falls into place and it's all totally. sunshine and rainbows. There's yeah. going to be ups and downs and yeah. your dog and you. Yeah. No, your dog and you are going to be frustrated and yeah. it's just, it's just going to happen, you know, and yeah. it's okay to take a step back and, Absolutely. It is what it is. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like, you know, those foundations can be really, you know, you can, I mean, you know, you can retrain a recall, right? Like, yeah, you complete, you can have a, a great recall and something happens and you're like, oh, got to retrain my entire recall. And, you know, that's, that's fine. Like, you might mm -hmm. have a better recall at that point or, you know. It's just, yeah, I think that's totally spot on is like, it's not a linear journey and, you know, our dogs have emotions and they have, you know, 
they they have experiences in life that affect them um there's genetics there's you mm-hmm. know so many things that can affect dog behavior and you know it's it's yeah and and those things can pop up at different times in their lives and i think you know yeah it's not it's up and down for sure yeah mm-hmm. and that's okay yeah. yeah no it's uh part of being a a, a thing in the in a the universe yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah yeah exactly yeah, yeah. it's uh yeah, yeah it's our you know our lives are like that too so mm-hmm. absolutely yeah. yeah so you know if there was a poster that you could put up in you know maybe all the pet smarts and all the yeah. dog trainer <laughs> facilities in the world you know what what would that poster say i think it would probably say something along the lines of like like food is a powerful tool or something like mm-hmm. that right because like it's interesting a lot of people don't you know would rather like don't want to use food for some reason like they're like there's this weird like thing around food and and training animals with food and um but it's probably like the most like powerful like quote yeah. unquote tool that you can use because you know it is like it's a primary reinforcer you know like like you're not going to be alive if you don't eat. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, some dogs, of course, are maybe a bit more picky with food and you have to try to find it, you know, but like, I think for like the basic kind of poster, like it has to be like something snappy, you know, <laughs> like it has to draw attention. But I think, you know, it'd be something where like trying to divert people away from like different tools that they can use, like, you know, bark collars and prongs and stuff like that. And then, you know, focus on, on how, how much food can be, you know, can really, I mean, if you think about it, like food is such a relationship builder with humans, like, you know, we go out and eat on, you know, for go for dinner and we like go have meals at your family's house, your friend's house. Like, why can't food be something that creates, you know, that relationship with your, your dog as well. So, yeah, no, that's a good one. And it's, it's, it's like that with a lot of domestic animals in particular, you know, even in the horse industry, like there's so much uh, worry around positive reinforcement with food because, you know, horse trainers think, oh, well then you'll need like a bucket of carrots every time you go riding with your horse. And it's like, you know, it's, it's the science, you know, shows that that's not, that's not the case. And anybody who has trained, with yeah. food as a primary reinforcer with dogs or the horses or with, you know, jaguars mm. can tell you that that's not the case. So yeah, you become that's a really part of that like reinforcement history. Right. And you, yeah. Can, I mean, I definitely have food on me all the time. Like I always have <laughs> yeah. treats. I've run out of treats Yeah, and yeah. you know, yeah. and I've, you know, I've run out of treats and I've still had a really good recall or a loose leash walk. Yeah. Like, you know, there are times where I'm on a walk and like, I'm just like giving him treats for nothing because he yeah. deserves to have a treat on his Absolutely. walk, right? They're All not dogs doing training. More yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's, it, uh, but if something happens, I've got food on me. I've got Absolutely. something yeah. that, you know, I can use as a management tool. I can use to just, dis- you know, distract him from another dog down the street or, you know, something like that. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's something that I always have on me. It's super easy. I, you know, have an old, I mean, there's some great training, you know, treat pouches out there. I just use an old chalk bag. <laughs> yeah, yeah, from, yeah. You know, Mount Equipment Co-op or whatever, <laughs> but um, which I do eventually have to retire because it's getting kind of gross. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, you know, it's definitely, um, yeah, food is amazing. It's, it's great. It can mm-hmm. do so much. 
Yeah, no, that's, yeah, that's, that's a really good poster. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, where can people find you and uh, see what you're up to or you, yeah. know, do you have others besides your Instagram or is Instagram where, where it's yeah, at? Yeah. Instagram's part? where it's at. I like was on TikTok for like a month and then I decided it was hell on earth. It is. It's rough training. Yeah. <laughs> it's so rough. <laughs> oh, I know. Yeah. So I'm not on TikTok. Um, but yeah, the lives of wild dogs on Instagram. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, if you're, if folks are interested in my, like peer review papers, like Google Scholar is probably a good way to to find those. But um, for the dog training stuff, yeah, my Instagram is is the the place to to find me. Yeah, that that's great, and I will link uh, the Instagram as well as the your Google Scholar um, in oh, the show awesome. notes for people to to check out if they want right. to learn a little bit more about uh, the specific uh, work that you've done there. Awesome. It's very interesting and might inform some of their decisions with their dogs. Uh, so, so I would definitely recommend people to check out your Instagram. But uh, thank you so much for coming on, uh, Valley. It's been, yeah, it's thank been awesome. you so much. Yeah, it's been great. We should definitely do it again sometime. Absolutely. There's always more to talk about. I know. About dogs. Like, yeah, <laughs> for sure. Or even wildlife or, yeah, it's absolutely great to, to chat some more. But yeah, I had a really great time. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. And uh, to everyone listening, uh, until next time. We hope you enjoyed that episode of the Wild Enrichment Podcast. If you want to follow us on social media, you can find us at Wild Enrichment on Instagram, Facebook, and Pinterest. If you want to learn more about Wild Enrichment and see some of our great resources, check out www.wildenrichment.com. Also, if you wish to support Wild Enrichment, check out our Patreon. Again, thank you so much for listening. Until next time. Wild Enrichment is independently owned and claims no affiliation to any zoo, aquarium, or other animal care institutions. All of the information and opinions communicated through this podcast, wildenrichment.com, and affiliated social media accounts are based on my own opinions and experiences and are not in any way reflective of the opinions of my employers past or present. Thank you.